Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast, I know life right now feels a bit like the Twilight Zone. It does for me here in Manhattan. BJ Armstrong in LA, my man, how are you doing after this very surreal, strange week in... uh, the life of not just everyone in America, but uh, many around the globe. Yeah, we, we can't we can't complain, and uh, you know we're being socially responsible. You know, with the you know keeping our social distancing and doing all the things that we can in the Armstrong household. So we take this very serious here, and and uh, our company Wasserman. We've you know everyone's working from home. Um, and the great part is, you know, in talking to the players, all of our clients all around the world, um, and some of our clients have actually returned back to uh, work um, back in China. All of our clients who play professionally in China uh, returned back to work this week. So oh, wow. uh, we're getting an opportunity, Eric, to see how, you know, we're, we're watching how the different sports here in, 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 in our country are dealing with it. But I'm getting the chance to speak to all of the different leagues, whether it's Euro League, Euro Cup, what have you, and all the different regions, all the different countries. And um, in that part of the world that we're discussing now in China, they're actually they returned back to play this week. And all the players were excited. Um, they felt very comfortable and they were excited to get back and start playing and, and start back uh, getting back on the court this week. Well, that, that's a positive for sure. So before we pivot to our uh, esteemed guest today, uh, you know, you shared a bit about many of these conversations that you started to have last week where you're trying to figure out who needs to get home, who's where, what decisions are being made. Uh, without naming names, if, if you're not comfortable, were there any insightful or eye-opening conversations you had this week, whether it was from the world of basketball health government i know you're talking to so many people about what's going on right now well yeah you know the, the the one thing is you try to separate you know you try to get everyone the facts and you try to get everyone the correct information and that's been the biggest part as i think people want to know what they can do to help and if anything has been amazing is that how everyone under is understanding um, and I think probably more so people who actually work in large gatherings like we work in, which are arenas and travel and so forth. So we're beginning to really understand how c- connected we all are. 
And it's been amazing to watch that because in dealing with all of the leagues and countries and people that we have to deal with, it's been amazing to watch how people are working with each other to really get this done. And when I say get it done, to really try to play their part and really, you know, be proactive in what we can do to assist and uh, really getting this virus contained so that we can we, that we can move on. As always on our podcast and all of our podcasts, really, we, we try to have some uh, essential voices on regardless of the subject matter. And, you know, BJ, we've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of really unique and great people through the game. And our guest today is someone that I've known for uh, close to 10 years. Obviously, your journey in the league spans a lot longer than that. And uh, pleased to welcome uh, the one and only Bob Delaney to the show, uh, former NBA official, 1,700 plus regular season games, 200 playoff games, nine NBA finals, also a former New Jersey State Trooper and undercover officer. And uh, I think most importantly, in today's climate, has also provided uh, PTSD training to officers on the federal, state, and local level, along with veterans. Uh, Bob Delaney. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Pleasure to be with you guys. So, Bob, obviously, first and foremost, what's on everyone's mind right now around the clock is this coronavirus epidemic. And before we get to some of the things that happened regarding the NBA, you have such a a, a wide variety of experiences, especially with law enforcement and knowing how state and federal authorities handle things. What's been your response and your and your perspective on both federal and state leaders responding to what is now a serious pandemic crisis here in the United States? Yeah, Eric, as you started to speak and you and you read off some of my background, one thing that stuck in my head is I can't hold a job. <laughs> um, I'm bouncing from one place to the next, and um, and I think that's what we have to do. We have to laugh. Uh, We cannot lose our sense of humor in these situations. I've learned that in the crisis management work that I've done on the law enforcement side, working with the military, being in war zones, visiting our troops, being embedded with the 25th Infantry in uh, Mosul, uh, been through Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. And one thing I do learn from them is that they are the greatest team that I've ever been around. I'm, I'm around the world champions, as you guys are, of sports. But uh, these folks are the world champions of the game of life. And so uh, learning from them is important. They keep their sense of humor. They, they, they're flexible. They're uh, innovative. They're adaptive. Um, let's just think back to the bin Laden capture kill about what the plan was and how it went awry, but they still completed their mission. I believe we're going to do the same thing here. Um, we, we, we have plenty of time to Monday morning quarterback, which all of us in sports are used to. Yep. Right now it's about the fight that we're in and, um, fighting for each other is what, what's most important from my view. You know, Bob, um, I don't know if I've I've ever shared this with you. My, my father, my dad was a referee and now he's the head of the officials in the state of Michigan. Oh, I was basketball. Yeah, and, and I've always had a great appreciation or f- 
for officials because I, I knew my dad was always trying to be the best, right? And when he would uh -huh. miss a call, you know, it would it would just eat him up or he thought right. he could do a better job. You refereeing at the professional level for, for so many years at that level with the greatest athletes of the world, what are some of the qualities or share some of the qualities? What do you think that makes a great official? Well, I think that there, there has to be a level of confidence, like anything. And there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. I, I always want the pilots, I fly a lot, and uh, I want the pilots to have their confidence. I don't want them to be arrogant. I, I want them to be assured of what they're doing. But I also want to make sure they know a checkoff list and that they're um, going through everything possible to, to make sure that that flight is safe. I think we all need to do that in whatever our professions are. And I think in this situation, again, um, I, I would underline that hope is, is extremely important, but not false hope. So the same thing when I was supervising officials, you know, I always said to them, be careful what you ask for, because most people want honest feedback until they get it. And then it's a whole different ball game. Then it's yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Our willingness to listen, our willingness to be led at this time does not mean we're followers. It means we're great leaders as well. Great leaders are willing to be led. And I see that in, in the great officials. They're, they're willing to have critiquing take place. They're, they're willing to have someone else view their game and point out how they could be even better. They are self-critiquing at a high level. But I don't think that's just for officials. I think that's for every walk of life. Those who are successful simply do what unsuccessful people are unwill unwilling to do. You have to pay a price to be successful. It doesn't just come. You don't just show up on a Sunday afternoon working at Celtics Lakers. It, it, it's a path that gets you there. And there's ups and downs. There's ups and downs in the game of life. We're going through one now. We are being tested. There is no testimony without a test. This test that we have before us is no different than the test that we have had generations upon generations. And, and I am confident that we will come out the other side stronger and better. What we need to do is listen to the authorities and have a willingness to shelter in place, uh, minimize your interactions with other folks until this gets under control. And that's not that difficult. It may be disruptive to our lives, but it's not difficult. I can't imagine that anyone is going to say that's impossible for me to do. <laughs> uh, that would just be a selfish person in my mind. Bob, you talk about people being challenged and um, healthcare workers right now are on the front lines. You've dealt with so many different people on the front lines before. Um, the perspective of healthcare workers, uh, the impact that law enforcement can have in trying to assist them. Um, how are you looking at this right now? Um, because there is no precedence for this. This is, this is new. This is different. We've seen police officers. We've seen military. Now we've got healthcare workers on the front line. How do you see this? And how do, you, how do regular people and how does law enforcement help healthcare workers through this? Yeah, it's a tribute to the human spirit. Uh, it's amazing how when uh, times like this take place, those who serve are willing to go to the problem 
whether it be the Twin Towers, whether it be a holdup and robbery in a bank, whether it be a fire. Uh, there are people in our society that are charged with that responsibility and take it very seriously. And I think that um, a newfound respect will come for every one of those walks of life. Unfortunately, it takes these kinds of things to remind us of how generous people are with who they are because they put their own lives on hold. They put their families on hold and they're serving 24 seven. You are gonna have cops come down with this because they're exposed. Uh, firefighters, those that, that serve, the, the men and women that, that are doctors in our healthcare. I, I'm, I'm currently attending Harvard uh, Global Mental Health Trauma Recovery Program, which started in Orvieto, Italy in November for 18 days where we had classes and projects and lectures from professors around the world and I'm one of a member of 70 in a cohort, and most of them are doctors from around the world working with sex trafficking, uh, refugee camps, uh, and a variety of issues. And in, in hearing what they're going through right now and the lack of equipment that is available to them, and yet they're putting scarves on and doing their jobs, is it, just nothing less than heroic. And um, we, we are fortunate that we have folks like this around the world. So Bob, right now, professional level, what's, what's your biggest worry? Of a professional level from the, from, from the law enforcement side of um, taking a view of this or from, from sports world? I, uh, what, what, I'd say law, law enforcement and healthcare. Um, it, it, to, to, the biggest concern I have is that people put, you know, the everyday person is going to put somebody in, in harm's way. So walking around on the beach in Florida right now, because you think it's your spring break, that's just being selfish. Um, you thinking that you should be able to go out and, and, and have your uh, good times, that's being selfish. Um, thinking that this is not impacting young people is fool's gold. At some point, it's going to. Um, whether you're a carrier or so listening, taking advice of what's being said to us. I mean, I do not miss one of Dr. Anthony Fauci's statements. That man is brilliant and he's a leader yep. and he's giving us information that we should listen to. Uh, unfortunately, we all think that, you know, I lived in a world where everybody sitting on a couch thought they could do my job better. And, um, I, I, I understood that, it, it, but it never dawned on me to walk into a dentist's office as they're working on me and say, why are they, you using that uh, tool or why are you giving me that Novocaine? Why don't you do this? For some reason, folks think that they know more than everybody else today. Uh, I don't know if it's whether it's social media or whatever it is, but our willingness to listen and be led in times of crisis is what will help push this uh, situation, this crisis down, allow those who have the authority and the expertise to lead us. Before we go down the, uh, the NBA storytelling lane, which obviously you know uh, both of us love to do, um, mm -hmm. just quickly, you have such knowledge of the league, 
and their inner workings and how they make big decisions. The NBA response to the coronavirus, when you heard about Rudy Gobert testing positive, uh, what was your reaction on how things were handled and your reaction to the fact, okay, this is now in the NBA. It's time to start making some critical decisions here. Yeah, as you, you know, I, I, I still hold the title as NBA Cares Ambassador, but that's my only involvement with the NBA uh, today. And so in 2017, I left the position as Vice President, Referee Director, of, uh, Referee Operations Director of Officials. And um, shortly after that, Greg Sankey offered me a position and created a position with the Southeastern Conference. So um, a special advisor for officiating development performance for all sports there, but obviously with my background, spend more time with basketball, uh, do other things uh, there. And um, so we were in Nashville at that time. This was all taking place with the SEC tournament and um, brainstorming a meeting and uh, decisions being made about where we were going with our tournament and um, was aware of what was taking place with the NBA. And and I think what we saw was true leadership. Um, Leadership comes in many forms, many ways. Uh, I had the good fortune of, of working for David Stern um, and, and Adam Silver. And, and I think that their leadership, that leadership that comes from the NBA uh, made uh, this at a higher level of understanding for the United States. Once that decision was made, I, I, you know, Gobert has apologized and rightfully so. I mean, his actions were uh, not um, actions that you would hope somebody would take. Uh, it was thinking it was a joke or, uh, um, you know, a very uh, laissez-faire uh, kind of attitude to the original uh, directives that were being given by the NBA. But again, it's Monday morning quarterback. I mean, let's let's move forward. Um, the decision that was made there influenced the United States in a huge, huge way. I, I'll go one step further. It influenced the world. That that influenced the world. And it it probably, not probably, it saved lives. Those decisions uh, are not easy ones. And you can imagine the angst that was going on inside of the commissioner, inside of all those on his team. Because I was experiencing it with Commissioner Sankey uh, in real time. And his leadership was also one that uh, will be looked upon down the road as being great ways to study leadership. Because when we unfold and and peel all this stuff back, we're going to learn from all this in so many ways. But I think that the NBA's actions was was um, was outstanding, uh, truly servant leadership and caring about our fellow band versus about what that business responsibility was. You know, about if we could look into the future, how do you think sports will be different? when they finally do return, what do you think will be some of the things that we will learn from this, as you mentioned earlier? Well, I think we learn from everything, right? I mean, baseball is going to uh, more and more mesh um, fencing along that line because of people becoming injured, uh, foul balls and bats going into the stands. 
And so change doesn't come fast and change feels awkward. You know, I'll ask you guys and, and your audience members just to do me a favor, just, just fold your arms. If you fold your arms in front of you, you do it a certain way. I put my right hand over the big gun I got on the left side and then I hide my other hand under the right arm uh, monster gun that I have on the other. But I ask you to do it just the opposite. Put your right where your left is and where your left where your right is. And it's going to feel awkward. Yeah, if I asked you to do that for 30 minutes a day for the next 30 days and we came back together, you may not fold it in a new way, but it will not feel awkward and it will not feel strange. So change takes time and um, change will come. You know, uh, as, as you said, you know, I came in the league in, in the 80s. When I go off the plane, I was looking for a pay phone. Today, I got a phone in my pocket. Times change. And so um, our willingness to allow it to change and our awareness that change is needed is extremely important. That flexibility, that innovative, adaptive kind of approach that I, that I referred to early in, in, in our time on the phone uh, is important. You just have me flashing back now, looking for a payphone when I was a kid before before <laughs> cell phones existed. That's amazing. Um, you know, Bob, a lot of speculation about there on, you know, when normalcy could be, when the NBA can resume the season. I mean, mm -hmm. it's crazy to even think about trying to forecast that right now, knowing what's going on in New York, where I sit, California, where BJ sits, Florida, where you sit. Um, forget timelines, but, you know, what conditions do you think we need to see before the NBA and all of the things that come with it can resume with what will unfortunately have to be a new kind of normalcy? Yeah, I, I as you said, I don't know when that, that will take place, but what I think where the answer lies is when the government um, and the World Health Organization tells us that that can take place again. I, I don't think anyone's going to just step out on their own and say, you know what, we're just going to put this thing together tonight. I, I don't think any organization is going to do that. And, and I think that there's a um, there's going to be a time frame, it, whether that time frame is one month, two months, three months, we don't know. And so those are the kinds of things that I think we need to have an awareness to, you know, from the work that, as you talked about, that I do with post-traumatic stress, what I talked about today is active traumatic stress. We're going through real-time trauma. So when that takes place, uh, there's some emotional needs during uncertain times that I think are important. And it's about understanding yourself. Are you emotionally expressive or are you emotionally retentive? That's an important part because if you're someone that holds it in, um, let, let me use an analogy. If I had a big balloon in front of us, how do I get the air out of the balloon? I could take a pin and pop it. I get the air out, but we don't have a balloon anymore. I can let it go. It flies all over the room. It goes out the back door. We don't know what happened to the balloon. But if I'm patient and willing to listen to sounds I don't want to hear, and I turn it upside down, and make, it makes that god-awful screeching noise, and I let a little air time, eventually I get all the air out. I have a full balloon I can use again one day. That's us with dealing with trauma. Our willingness and our capacities to share with others. Because when I share my feelings with you, I validate your feelings and give you permission to tell me your story. 
And what is personal is universal. There are no new emotions in this world. It's how we navigate them. So if there's a fear level, if, if there's anxiety, if all of these kinds of feelings, I'm not saying, you know, get up on a, on a stage and talk about it. I'm talking about finding someone that you trust to have this conversation with is going to be extremely important. There's some other things. Develop a daily plan. Right now, I am writing down things every night around 9 o'clock, what I'm going to do the next day. I'm even laying clothes out of what I'm going to wear because I don't want to be sitting around in my pajamas till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It, it, it creates an, an uneasiness, right? It, it, it's not norm. So make whatever you can as norm as possible and do that with scheduling. Um, think about positive thoughts. Now, I'm not saying all positive thoughts are make our life gumdrops and lollipops, but I do know negativity breeds negativity. And, uh, you know, we talked about recognizing that change is difficult. Limit the social media that we talked about. Yeah. Schedule it. Scheduling Scheduling's huge, Bob. It's, it's yes. so big. It goes back to everything we know from our lessons through basketball. And uh, I, I've been fighting that. I've been staying up late either watching mm-hmm. – classic games or stuff that's going to make me laugh or the news. And this week, especially, uh, were some, were some scheduling challenges, but, um, you know, I want to, I want to take it back and you talk about, you know, the, the positive and what brings us all together. Obviously the game is positive and so many stories and experiences. And I was joking with BJ before the show started, um, you know, they're playing all the hardwood classics. Uh, now that there's no game action. So the, the 92 Bulls Blazers final uh, game one was on yesterday. I, I told BJ how incredibly in shape he looked. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was able to get in the stance and move his feet and everything. But, uh, you know, last week when I reached out to you, um, I had just watched clips of the classic Larry Bird Portland 1992 triple double that you were officiating on that Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon in Boston and your memory of some of those moments, which led to that miraculous shot were just unbelievable. They're exactly what I watched. So, um, you know, to start us off that time period where you're in the league, you know, BJ comes in as a rookie in 8990, the torches passed from magic and Larry to Michael and the bulls. W- what were some of your favorite, stories and experiences from that time and of course anytime you can make fun of bj uh in these stories <laughs> feel free. always the consummate gentleman right? <laughs> and agreed agreed with every one of my calls so there's nothing i can say <laughs> um if you go back to that game that you described with uh, that was portland uh, blazers they're playing on a sunday afternoon and it was march 16th or 15th, I can't remember either war, but I know that it was the celebration of St. Patrick's Day that would take place on either Monday or Tuesday. And so, um, you know, it's uh, back then it was from in Boston, CB, in in Boston, Boston. CBS yeah. game. And um, uh, Portland's winning as we're coming down the stretch in, in, in regulation. And um, it's a seven-point game with about 50 seconds to go. And somehow, some way, it gets down to a three-point game with the take fouls uh, going back and forth and people missing free throws and shots being made. And so now Jerome Kersey goes to the line with about seven-point-something seconds 
uh, way before we had um, replay available to us. Mm-hmm. And um, he misses the first. And on the second, while he makes it, he commits a line violation because, or no, he misses the second as well. He commits a line violation because he goes over the line knowing he misses, he's trying to get the rebound. And he's over the line before he, the ball is just about out of his hand, which you're not allowed to do. And I call the violation. So it gives the ball back to Boston down three with 7.2. They call a timeout. And all you hear during that entire time is that chant ringing through that old uh, Boston Garden. Larry, Larry, Larry. So everybody knows who's getting the ball, right? I mean, it's not like uh, there's going to be some great coaching going on this side. Everybody get out of the way and give it to Larry. And um, so the pass comes in. DJ takes care of making sure it gets in Larry's hands. And I'm in the slot position. And as Berg comes to the, towards the slot, Clyde Drexler and Jerome are doubling him. And he goes up with a shot that um, I like. He started from behind. You know how Larry would start from behind the line and land in front of the line? So you yeah. can get confused sometimes. But, it, but I was confident that he went from behind the line. I put my hand up. I stay watching to see if there is a foul. The ball goes in the hoop. And so now we've got a tie game, and it's like about two seconds to go. It goes triple overtime, and as you said, the story. But here's what happens to start the first overtime. As Bird comes off for the for the jump ball, Hugh Evans I was working with and Jackie Neese. And Hugh Evans uh, was going to throw the ball up for the first overtime. Bird comes right over to me, gets about nose to nose, and says, you know I should be on the line to end this thing. Now, there were a lot of other words between every word there that I don't want to put out, um, but there was a lot of descriptive words being used. Uh, but that was Larry setting it up for the next thing, right? He was always working, trying to get it, but he never did it in a way that it was boisterous or it just looked like he was talking to you. But he, 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 he in his mind, he was like, I got fouled in that thing, and I should have been on the line to end this thing. And he's always working. Uh, to, to, it, as BJ would tell you, I mean, may have been one of the great trash talkers of all times. Uh, I mean, the guy oh, just God, always was... had a line for something. I mean, yeah. amazing. So, so, so real, real quick before BJ chimes in with the next one. This is Larry Bird's last season: forty-nine points, fourteen rebounds, twelve assists. But Bob, this is the reason when I uh, played high school ball started coaching at a young age and just the way I watched the game, I would never ever quit on a game because my father <laughs> left the house with a minute to go down seven to go to tower record because he thought the game was over. Really? And I yelled and screamed at him for hours after he got home and he felt like the biggest clown in the world. But uh, <laughs> that game is an incredible memory. And um, the fact that Larry said something to you, going into overtime is is of little surprise obviously exactly you and i both came in roughly right right around the same time i think your first season was 87 88 right around there yeah i started i started in the cba in 84 and then uh, got hired into the nba in 87 can you share with us here and our listeners about from the time you came in to the league as a young official until the time you left as a seasoned veteran official what was the biggest difference that you saw in the game 
the preparation, players? What was the biggest difference from the time you came in to the time you left? That was politely said. So you mean as I was a young guy versus an old dude, is what you said. <laughs> very you were seasoned. You, you're very, as a player, you were experienced. You're... Yeah, yeah, I was real experienced to the point I couldn't run anymore. <laughs> um, you know, all things change. And so the league changes as well. The game was a half-court game with um, probably the greatest centers that have ever been in the game. I, you know, I, I saw Wilt Chamberlain play, but I never refereed him. I didn't mm-hmm. referee Bill Russell, but you saw those guys play. But to, to, to officiate uh, Patrick Ewing and uh, Hakeem and, um, you know, David Robinson and Shaquille O'Neal, and the list goes on and on and on. Kareem, uh, I mean, the center post, and, and, you know, the game as it was set up to go inside was a different ball game. And, um, you know, the spacing that took place when I first came in the league was phenomenal. When you think about Showtime and uh, Magic coming down middle of the court and Byron's running down one end and James is down the other, and it's the classic three-on-two break or, uh, I mean, the no-look passes, all of that was just phenomenal. And then the game started to change. In the 90s, we went into the strong arm game. Everybody got in the weight room and everybody's taking a piece of somebody cutting through, mainly to slow plays down so to take time off the 24-second clock so that you can, uh, you know, the the first and second option weren't going to be available to them. And then as the game continued uh, all through my later years of being on the floor and then into the years that I was the vice president referee operations director officials that we had to adjust because it became a spread game. Everything was three pointers. And so we had to adjust the officiating as well. Our our referees are wider in the lead than they were because there's virtually no post play. So, um, and also the game was being pushed up the court. So, so fast that even though we had three referees that was designed for more of a half court game, we were ending up with only two referees in the front court because the ball was being pushed up so fast. So we had to adjust there as well. It's all about angles. It's all about uh, open looks to be able to see the play, to be able to get to the best point of decision-making. If you see the beginning, middle, and end of a play uh, in action, there's a better uh, opportunity to make a decision whether to put air in the whistle or not. And all we're asking officials to do today is legal versus illegal contact. When I came in, what is advantage, disadvantage? But we changed that um, late 90s into the 2000s um, of saying it's just about legal versus illegal contact. That's all you should be good. It's not about advantage, disadvantage, because quite honestly, if we have advantage, disadvantage, Mike, BJ, Eric, and Bob are going to have different views of what is a disadvantage or an advantage. And so what everyone calls for in officiating is consistency, what I refer to as calibration. We can only calibrate calls by all by the officials all thinking the same way. So if we give them the same self-talk and we tell them that speed, rhythm, quickness, and balance, when that's disrupted is a foul, when contact takes place, but there is no speed, quickness, rhythm, balance disrupted, that's a play on. We have a better chance of taking a six-lane highway down to two and a half lanes. We're never going to get to the one-lane highway. 
it's a human factor that's involved with officiating and the game of basketball. But our hope is to be able to take a six-lane highway, narrow it down to two-and-a-half lanes, and allow the athleticism of the greatest athletes in the world to take place uh, within those guidelines. When I look at those games that that I played in that era, right, we always talk about it was tough and it was physical and the physicality. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always amazed. I go, God, someone really could have got hurt. In, in, in looking back at the game now, do you think we probably could have put in place more rules to limit the physicality of the game in looking back on what we know now? Because, I mean, when yes. you look at some yeah. of the fouls, no of, right. you know, right. when you look at some yeah. of the fouls that some of these guys were taking and how we played, and I mean, really, it was it was quite dangerous for, for, for the athletes, right? So, what's your take on that? I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that um, – you, you guys know, are both getting soft in your old age. Well, BJ still looks like he's 17, so it doesn't matter. This is true. Uh, um, but I agree with you. I, I think that when we looked back and, and as time went on, it was a different era, and it's very difficult to compare errors. Eras. Yes. Um, but if you're being reflective and you're being honest, there were things that, I mean, take that Mikhail and Rambus uh, kind yes. of hit that went on. That was a common foul. I mean, <laughs> somebody may be indicted today for something like that. As, as, Bob, as, Bob Ryan, as Bob Ryan said in the Celtics Lakers doc, shooting foul, go to the lunch. <laughs> I know. I mean, Bob, just think about that. That was a common yeah. foul. I mean, common foul. Assault. Common foul. And, um, you know, but, but true, you saw it firsthand um, right. of, of, of uh, the Jordan rules. You saw the, the, um, the aggressiveness of taking somebody, no layups, uh, that kind of play. And, and quite honestly, I think the NBA did the right thing in changing those. Uh, yep. I know there's a lot of talk by the older guys at mm-hmm. times and, you know, that uh, things are softer. and But there's a reality to we, we're so much more knowledgeable of what head, right. head injuries can do to folks and traumatic brain injuries that can come as a result of these kinds of contacts and, and how um, down the road it has an impact on a person's uh, quality of life. So I, I think it's healthy. I also think what was healthy is when after that incident in, in – in uh, San Antonio, when people came off the bench for the fight in the playoffs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, that oh, I think that players were kind of relieved that they couldn't come from the bench. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you you had to do it, otherwise your teammates thought you were not behind them, <laughs> right? I mean, so you yeah. had to go fight, otherwise you were going to have a tough time <laughs> I mean, in the locker. You know, I mean, I'm, let's, I'm so... let's not forget the Bulls Knicks fight in '94. Yeah, I mean um, it's. Uh, I mean, but you're you're exactly right. I mean, you had to do something, and you know, I wasn't the biggest guy, so y- what am I supposed to do if Charles Oakley or Anthony Mason or someone? I mean, mm-hmm. what what can you do? But I think right. it cleared up a lot of that because, I mean, as you know. These guys are these are some big people, right? I mean, Buck Williams and these guys. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, those guys. Do you remember when Shaq and um, Charles had the fight in Houston? 
um, and Charles. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about yeah him in Oakley. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. No, no. Charles, 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 and Shaquille O'Neal. When yes. Barkley, you remember when, when Shaq and put him on right. the ground? Right. And and they went back and forth. And um, let me tell you about um, how dumb I was. I was refereeing that game. I thought I was going to break up that fight. I got between the two of them. Um, <laughs> if you watch that closely, Mark Davis is working. He pulls me out of the pile by my shirt. Um, 48 hours later, I was on an operating table because my meniscus tore as oh, a result wow. of trying to hold those two back from each other. And um, that kind of physicality, you think about it. If Shaq ever got mad, what would take place? I mean, thank God he has the demeanor that he has. Yes, and I said that all the time. I believe he pulled a punch on Miller back in the day. You remember? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in, in, I think it was in, in Chicago. Chicago. It was in yep. Chicago, yeah. That's, that's yep. the one I thought you was referring to. Yeah, that was in Chicago. Yep. If Shaq it, was a mean person, yes, right, he would have seriously – hurt someone because he was oh, just absolutely he was he was just so big and so strong just if folks really cannot comprehend it unless you're seeing it firsthand that man was well i'll tell you i the first time a referee checked when he was a rook i was with jack madden and jack was an old-time referee who had refereed wilt chamberlain and right. at the end of the game in the locker room as we're taking showers and getting ready to hit the streets he says I never thought I'd see anybody stronger than Wilt, and tonight I think I just did. Wow, mm. uh, it's wow. Uh, yeah, that's Connecting, for sure. Being able to connect the dots with the two generationally is unbelievable. Also, um, right, I right. remember that name from back in the day. So, you know, Bob, so many great players and games, and and obviously we're all still reflecting, absorbing, reacting to the passing of, of Kobe Bryant. And I know you had some, some things to say about Kobe and mm-hmm. um, did many of his games. What, what, um, what, what did he leave you with? And what were some of your, your favorite memories of, um, you know, that relationship and refereeing just so much all-time greatness on the floor? That was uh, around him. I, I have shared this story with you. I, I, um, it was, it was a, a very um, emotional uh, for the world. And I think there was a variety of reasons for that. Um, I, I think it's a father and a daughter. And that while most of us either were in vans or cars with parents as kids or taking our own kids to games, there's a relatability. Um, I, I think it was the story of so many people uh, losing their lives that they struck this world so much. But I also believe that the NBA brings people around the TV as a family. And unfortunately, in today's society, we don't do as many things like that. And, and I think people bond it with parents and aunts and uncles and friends around watching, you know, whether it was Michael's era, Magic's era, but Today, it, all the players that are at the college, they looked. They, they grew up with Kobe. They felt like that was their buddy. That was their friend. Because while he may not have known them, they knew him. And um, that pain of loss, but also it's the pain of those kinds of memories are being shattered that, that struck us so strongly in, in my 
in the kind of work that I do emotionally, you know, of understanding what, what people think. But I shared with folks, um, there was a picture of Kobe wearing his um, uh, Sunday white Laker uniform with me, and, and I start to laugh. And it was a still shot that went out pretty strong around uh, the world. And um, what had happened was it was early in a game on Sunday, and it was probably an NBC game, uh, or excuse me, an ABC game back then. And it was a foul on Kobe probably in the first couple of minutes. And I go to the trail, I give the signal, and now he starts walking to me with that scowl on his face that we all know mm-hmm. that he could do. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that was not a hard call. I mean, he hits the guy. What is he going to complain about now? My self-talk's going, and I'm preparing for some kind of, like, pushback argument. And he walks alongside me, stands like over me and starts talking. And when watching the tape, Mike Green is saying, Kobe's giving Delaney an airflow. He's not happy with that call. But what really what Kobe said was, what was that like wearing a wire when you're undercover? What was that like, man? That had to be wild. <laughs> so he played me. He got me to laugh because I think he's coming to argue. He comes out with talking about the undercover stuff and the wire that I wore and all that. And as BJ, I'll tell you, that's him. He he knew everything he was doing at every moment, right? I mean, right, he right. orchestrated everything, and he was in control. And um, so those kinds of stories you remember. And, um, you know, while I never pretend to be um, friends per se, these working relationships and the opportunity to be around NBA players for generations – I got to talk to Willis Reed. I, I got to talk to Bill Russell. I mean, what a what a fortunate position I am in to have worked with the greatest athletes in the world and uh, get the opportunity to spend 30-plus years around the game that uh, we all love. Bob, to, uh, yeah. to you know, you, you brought up the, the undercover work and, and obviously – your journey from that to the NBA to all the work that you've done with uh, with PTSD um, is just life-changing stuff. And as we continue to go through this, whether it's people in basketball, everyday people in society, responders, healthcare, people are going to be experiencing different forms and different levels of, of PTSD. So what is your number one top line thing for people to remember and how to deal with these feelings and emotions as they come about, uh, as we get yeah, or, uh, identifying within yourself. If you're emotionally expressive or emotionally retentive, that 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 would be number one. And and having someone that you can speak with, because if you know that you hold things in, you're going to have to have um, some kind of uh, self-talk to say, I'm going to let some of this out, because you can only carry it. So take that analogy I use with the balloon. If you keep filling the balloon up, eventually it's going to burst. And the more that we put ourselves in front of the TVs, the more that we think of these things negative, we start talking about the financial crisis that's coming. We're talking about, let's take it one step at a time. Let's have someone that we have a safe uh, conversation with that we can open up with and um, stay away from the negativity. Allow yourself to monitor yourself. Maintain the schedules. Develop um, a pattern where you're saying one hour in the morning, 45 minutes in the morning, I'll watch the TV. 45 minutes in the afternoon, maybe 45 minutes at night. Not start to finish in your pajamas. 
uh, all day long. Create routines so that you are now making sure that you're getting some kind of physical activity if you're capable, getting outside when it's safe to be outside, doing things that are going to create some kind of feeling of normalcy even though we're in the abnormal. And uh, that's our responsibility to each other. I always say, you know, these are like shadows. There's every there's shadows in everybody's life. But never fear a shadow because if there's a shadow, that means there's light nearby. Our responsibility to ourselves, our families, and to each other is to get to that light. Beautiful way to close it. Appreciate you, Bob. Good Thanks Bob. for taking the time. My honor. Pleasure, pleasure to be with you guys. You stay safe. Bob. All right. You too, Bob. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, uh, I, I miss our back and forth. Uh, I, I miss all of the stuff. And um, I wish we could have uh, still get out there and still run around. But I, I'm done. My knees are done. <laughs> BJ, I, BJ it's, it's funny that you say that. It's like, um, I, I feel the same way. Wouldn't it? it it's 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 a blink. It, it's, the career <laughs> the career is over in a in a blink. And, I and yet I would love to be out on the floor with you. But it's <laughs> always an honor working your games. You're not only a hell of a athlete and an amazing basketball player. You're a good good man. All right, thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. And the same to you, to you and your family. Be safe, my friend. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Take care of each other. I'll see you down the road. Yep. Thanks, Bob. Take care. So, BJ, obviously. We love talking to different people on the show, but there is only one Bob Delaney, and yes. uh, I know your journey in the league. You uh, you had a lot of interactions with him, and uh, what seems like a great relationship. Yeah, he, you know, as I was, as we were having the, you know, the conversation, the interview with with him with Bob, I, I it just you know things come up right, and one of the things I miss more than than anything was you actually would have conversations with the referee during the course of the game. And you began to develop relationships with, you know, the people. And as I was thinking throughout the interview, it was like, God, I'm, I'm, I miss Bob. I miss talking to him. I miss like trash talking with him. I miss that interaction. It was like, you're, you're hanging out with one of the guys. It was kind of like, we all had a role. We all understood the business. We understood our roles in this business. And then I started to think about Bennett Salvatore and Dick Bavetta and Steve Jabby and all of these people. And they just like, I was like, I miss these people. Like, <laughs> like I, yeah. I want to call them because it was, you know, I had a, a real relationship with Bob. And if I needed something, I knew I could talk to him. He would talk back to me. And there was a, a mutual respect that you had in that era with players and teams. And I mean, to hear him just talk about the game was too physical. Yeah, it, it really was. But we all understood how to navigate and play our role in that era, right? We were probably all thinking the same thing, but we all understood how to help one another in that time. And uh, he was a terrific referee. I mean, he was an excellent referee and there were many in that era because you always knew when you were on the road, you're going to get a fair whistle and that's all you could ask. And um, it was a pleasure catching up with him. And every time I see him, you know, we always hug and spend a couple of minutes. Uh, I see him and he's doing great work uh, around the league and with the leagues still currently. So um, that, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
and and some valuable messaging too that I'm definitely going to uh, print out and put up on the on the fridge as a reminder as we continue to uh, navigate these uh, uncertain several weeks ahead. So uh, always great to chop it up with you, buddy. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought I want to say this before we end the show. I want to yeah. say this. You know, it, it's really one of the, the funny things because my dad was a referee. It's funny to hear that the referees are listening to the to the to all of the trash talking too. <laughs> I thought that was funny when he said when he said about Larry Bird. I was like, wait a minute, you're supposed oh, to be referee yeah. in the game. He's listening to the trash talking too. So I mean, that was just that was just great. I didn't want to like <laughs> like make a big deal about that, but the fact that he's listening sure. to the trash talking. That that's oh, just classic. That's, that's, that's part of all the that's part of all the magic in the relationship building, you know. And, and the fact we've seen so many heated exchanges and conflicts today between players and refs because they haven't established that kind of relationship and respect. And I think that's unfortunately something that left the game a number of years ago. And it's something that I think would help the game if it was back now, because there would be more of an understanding from both sides, because I think referees are too quick with some of these technical foul calls. I think there's obviously way too much complaining from players. And I think there needs to be more of an understanding and relationship between both sides, which was evident in the world that you navigated and Bob Delaney navigated. There's, there's no doubt. Yeah. I, I mean, look, we could go on and on, but I will say this, you know, when you were playing in the game in, in that era, and I think I can speak for that era of basketball, the referees were a part of that game. <laughs> it wasn't like oh, yeah. the, it wasn't like the players. It wasn't like, you know, everyone had a role to play. And when you knew a Steve Javi, was refereeing the game or Jory Crawford or Bob Delaney. When you knew those guys were there, you had to adjust to that, the way that game was going to be officiated. The coaches had to adjust. The players mm -hmm. had to adjust. And there was a mutual respect. I don't know what it was, but I don't, it was something that was there. And, you know, I, I, I that came with age and experience, right? You know, I don't know if I was 19 or 20, I would have got that. But when I was in the league and I came to the league at 21, 22, and two or three years later when I was, you know, 23, 24, I got it. So I just think it it's a different time and a different era. But I, I really miss, I miss those guys. I, I, I miss those guys telling me, BJ, the game is a little bit too physical tonight. Make sure you just pull up. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, mean the, I, I was just thinking of all of the conversations that you had and, and you would just be talking to guys during the game. And I mean, when you had an excellent official, an excellent official would tell you, you know, uh, 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 you know, you're standing at the free throw line. Someone he goes, hey, BJ, I missed that call. I missed that call. My bad. Yeah. Like and you, you weren't upset about it. You were like, OK. You missed the call. Hey, I missed the play. Everyone's on. I wasn't trying to show him up. He wasn't trying to show me up. And that's the type of back and forth that you had back then. Because I don't know how it happened. But I, I was thinking of those guys. I, 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 
I, I, it, it was, it was like a dance. I don't know, but they were part of the dance for sure. And, uh, man, I, that was, that was a great, that was, that was a fun time. Good stuff, my man. Great job today. Special thanks as always to first team, all pro producer, Mike yes, Lieber. Yes. The one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor, Benjamin Wolfen, and the entire pure hoops media fam and team. We are sticking with our show schedule the best we can. Coming and coming at you next week, the Mike Wise Show. We've got full court press with Fanta and Adams. Hopefully, if schedules allow, catch and shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. Buckets, boards, and blocks with the one and only Monica McNutt. And the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself. We'll be back next week. We're going to continue to navigate this uncertain time. We're going to continue to tell stories, have insightful conversations find a few minutes for some good laughs and most importantly stay pure the pure hoops podcast is a presentation of pure hoops media